0: All righty. Anger management. So pretty much I'm just going to make you angry and then see how you manage it. Careful. <laughs> <Terrible. laughs> right? What? Give me a list of things that from very small frustrations to black rage that make you angry. Being accused of things I didn't
1: do. I think we talked about. This.
0: False <laughs> accusation. Yeah, that's a big one. Misuse of the handicap spot. Misuse of a handicap spot. Someone parking there and got their tag. Yeah, or
1: just, yeah, they're not handicaps. Yeah. Yeah, just generally, kind of like anytime somebody's being insensitive, right? They're not out respecting you as a person, or they seem not to, right? So. Lack of
0: sensitivity or being disrespectful. Yeah, exactly. What else? They can be trivial things, too. It doesn't matter. My
2: kid's not
0: listening to me. Disobedience. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Dishes in the sink.
0: <laughs> Dishes. Dishes in the <laughs> sink. What about uh, traffic? Yes. Yeah, no. Nobody likes traffic, huh? No.
1: I've with it enough. It doesn't bother me too much.
0: You know, it was a hard day for me when I realized that I'm not in traffic. I am traffic.
2: I just you know, I'm thinking of driving, but like inconsiderate drivers that just cut from third lane to exit. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. You know?
0: Being inconsiderate.
2: Inconsiderate. You know, Those people who are driving, the, like, they're about to, nah, they're like, trying to, they're, you're trying to see, they don't, don't yield to the ramp. Or,
0: people like, ride your ass. yield to the ramp. Yeah. They're or not like, supposed to yield to the ramp. Or, like, on, Coming on. off or on? Both ways. They're only supposed to yield on off. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah.
2: that's still the
1: yeah. Construction zones where signs that say, like, left lane ending a thousand feet. Oh, okay. they just keep on riding that left lane till they, till they can't go anymore than then jump in.
0: You know, That's congratulations, like you made it head. one car length ahead.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You gotta beat that one more car. When you're stuck in, like, a traffic jam
2: and the motherfucker is riding your ass. hmm. And you're like, where do you want me to go, bro? <laughs> yeah. i you know I'm stuck. Speaking of being cut off, but being cut off while you're talking? Mm-hmm.
0: Interruption. Interruption. Okay, and then we have things like lying, right? Um, stealing, stealing, even things like jealousy. All these types of things. What do they all have in common?
2: Uh, it's an intrusion of your self,
0: right? Right. I believe that is the number one causation of anger. Is the interruption of myself. Something gets in the way of me. Again, like we kind of talked about yesterday Someone cuts you off on the highway, right? And you're mad And in that moment, you forget how many times you've done it Whether purposefully or accidentally No one here is the world's best driver And even the world's best drivers Cut someone off on accident Because other people are unpredictable too Right? At
2: least I do the sorry Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, give them the wave wave. Hopefully all of your fingers are up I'm the asshole (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> but that's think about it try to think of an instance where you are upset and it wasn't somehow an interruption of yourself
1: mine with the handicap spot it didn't necessarily interrupt me it just I had a family member who that happened to them and it went badly And it just boils my blood every time I see someone miss, right miss you, but it doesn't interrupt me at all It interrupts me when I stop to
0: say something. That's true, yeah. So, anger is what they would call a secondary emotion. What does that mean? Anger isn't its own causation. It is the reaction to a causation. So, uh, your primary feelings, the number one with anger being fear right and that ties in with the interruption of myself and I'll get to that in a little bit but I would I believe that there are two different types of anger and you could call it just and unjust or healthy and unhealthy right well how I would define unjust anger is my, is anytime I'm angry and it comes at the expense of another right I'm upset and I'm taking it out on you you're paying the bill for my anger Just anger, I think, is more along the lines of what you're talking about with the handicapped spot. It's an injustice. I hate sex trafficking. I am angry towards it. But my anger doesn't come at the expense of an individual. And that's a really hard concept for a lot of people to swallow because they've done this terrible thing. Well, I've done terrible things, too. Where does justice, where where do you cross the line when it comes to someone being able to turn their life around and make new decisions and, and become that new person because we've received how many chances? Again, that's not a justifying statement of behavior. It's just my anger. I can't afford to let my anger come at someone else's expense. And then just anger, healthy anger, is just that. Like, I'm, I'm mad towards the injustice. I'm upset. I'm angry at where this relationship is going because I'm doing everything I can to steer the ship correctly. I'm angry that my kids aren't listening because it's getting them into trouble and I'm not mad at them. I'm mad at the decisions. Therefore, my anger is being taken out on them. Hopefully, it's being taken out for them. Does that make sense? It's a protective type sense. I want to protect the innocent. Right? I want to protect those who need protecting. And I'm going to be angry at the situations that are, cause, are potentially causing them harm. But the other person, just like me, deserves the same kind of mercy that I myself did not deserve and still received. You ain't got to like it. You ain't got to agree. And you don't have to think it's right. Make sense? Okay. So back to the primary motion, most of the time, if, if you, we could say all other things make us angry, like we could say, "I was angry because I was jealous, I was angry because of this." All of those, I believe, come down to that aspect of fear. And fear always has that connotation of punishment. Right? Have you ever called someone out or caught them right-handed? What's the first thing they do? They get angry. Most of the time, or even lying is a defense mechanism against fear because I'm lying to not tell the truth because the truth I fear I'll face punishment. Okay? So if fear is that primary factor, we have to consider the times that we've been angry and what it is we're actually afraid of. Those arguments that get heated and we're constantly just turning tables on each other That's deflection. That's defensive. We're afraid of exposure of something. Have you ever in your addiction wanted to be caught? But when you were caught, you were angry about it? Yes. (laughs) That's defense. That's fear. That's the need of self-protection, right? But you're trying to protect a harmful thing. Like if I had a priceless vase. Remember, I got four kids at home. If I had a priceless vase, I'm not going to put it on a stand in the middle, in the middle of the living room. That living room's chaos. It's going to get knocked down. It's going to get broken. So I put it in a safe place behind lock and key. That's my point. We usually build the thickest walls around the most fragile things. The catch-22 being that those fragile things a lot of times are the things that are actually poisoning us, hurting us, and causing us distress and destruction. So if I find myself defensive, I have to beg the question, what is it I'm defending? I might be protecting something that doesn't need protecting. I might be using all of my resources to keep something safe that needs to be uprooted in the first place. That's why I steer conversations. That's why as soon as you get a little too close, I turn the table or I start blame shifting. I escape that realm of um, personal responsibility so that we can kind of get off the subject and get away from that thing because I'm protecting it. Or the things I won't even let my own thoughts go to. Because I'm so afraid of what I've built, of what's behind that wall I've built. It's too fragile. If we, open that, if we open that case, whatever's in there will make me die. Right? That's what it feels like. I would say the second aspect, past fear, would be pain. But pain is also a fear. Our society today is so absolutely terrified of experiencing any type of pain. Think about it. From when you were like five years old and up if you had a tummy ache if you had a headache if you scraped your knee here's Tylenol here's ibuprofen here's these we've been taught take this for this I have pain it must be medicated experiencing pain is not okay we need to fix pain so what what happens we develop that emotionally as well we develop that mentally as well So we do things like use, we do things like avoid, Uh, we try not to think about it, we use distraction, we have music going all the time, there's always a movie, there's always a show, there's always my phone, whatever it is, because I'm trying to avoid that place, right? Well, here's the problem. If you're trying to avoid pain, you're living in the pain you are trying to avoid, just because you're not dealing with it now does not mean you're not experiencing the pain of it. Another aspect why I think when we use, it's a little bit and then a little bit more and then a little bit more more often, because the idea of the escapism grows, because our pain grows. remember we're dirty in our conscience at the same time, so we're creating more pain along the way. So it's actually completely backwards. It's detrimental. We think, I can have that drink. I can, I can have the shot or whatever it is. And I can avoid that pain when really you're exacerbating it and you're making it worse. And then tomorrow, you couldn't make it till noon like you did the day before. And the next day, it's 9 a.m. So on and so forth. And now you have to be high from when your eyes open to when, they, to when you go to sleep, right? And that avoidance of pain and that fear, I believe, is rooted in the fact that if I finally face that thing, it's going to require things of me that I don't believe I have. Again, that inadequacy complex. That responsibility. And I want to avoid it too, right? If I can claim ignorance of it. If I don't let myself explore it, then I don't know exactly know what's going on and I can stay in my ignorance about it, right? Ignorance is bliss. Hosea 4.7 says, My children are destroyed by their lack of knowledge. And we grew up our whole lives believing what you don't know won't hurt you. So there's problem. This idea of self-exploration isn't just something you sit, I always, I, I express it, the fear of the quiet room. When you're sitting there with nothing, no music, no people, no shows, no phone, quiet, with you and yourself, all right? What starts to happen? It's a pretty uncomfortable place
1: to be. It is. You start looking how to change the scene. Whether you go looking for a phone or, I mean, you, well, in my case, I start, you know, dwelling on stuff, you know, and it tends to, I mean, I don't think people normally gravitate to, oh man, that was a really cool day, really nice. and Those aren't the things that you think about. Right? You think the things of, of things that haven't been done that should be done, and, right. you know, stuff like that, responsibilities, and, you know, maybe pain or uncomfortable situations that you've been in recently that need to be resolved. So it all is just, like, negative.
0: Yeah. When we're sitting there and there's nothing else, what we find is all that stuff we've been avoiding starts to bubble up to the surface, and it starts to do it pretty quick. We get, like you said, very uncomfortable. So that's part of the interruption of myself, is I will choose comfort at all costs. If I'm comfortable in chaos and problems and relationship strife, I will strive to keep those things because at least I know where I stand. A lot of people fall back, relapse, and all that kind of thing because the life they were living is at least known and they find a sense of comfort in it. You're not worried about the future if the only thing on your agenda is to get your next right you're not you're not so much worried about responsibility if you're already out on the street, so sometimes we just do a process of illumination in a way that helps us remain the, the same way that we are choosing to be when we point and choose and call it this this person's fault, that situation's fault, you know whatever. Um, that's besides the point of people that have actual you know, actual brain issues, right? Because we can, we, most of us can claim that all day and we're, we're not technically there, so. Um, but if I'm sitting in that room and everything starts to boil up, I take it as a threat. I'm afraid. What do I do? I might not get overtly angry, I might not start yelling in a room by myself, but I'm going to start feeling pretty bad about myself, which is self-aggression. You know what happens? When you're short with yourself, when you're upset with yourself, when you're mad at yourself, you're going to find out really quick that you're going to be short with others. You're going to be upset with others, and you're going to get mad at others. And it's going to be stupid crap, little things that don't matter. Because you're being just as hard on other people as you're being on yourself. And how you're feeling about you, your internal reality is manifesting into your outward reality. And then you didn't take any time to figure out what's going on. So when they ask you, why are you so pissed off all the time? You say, I don't know. Which is an honest statement at the time, or at least a semi-honest statement at the time. So when we're sitting there and everything's bubbling up, does anyone know how gold is purified? Smelt it, right? But to get to what we call 14-karat gold, they have to to melt it down seven times. And each time they melt it down, that cooling process starts, this stuff comes to the top, and it's called dross. And the dross has to be scraped off and thrown out. And then they have to melt it down again. So it has to melt down, get purified, cool, reharden, melt it down again seven times. What's bubbling up to the surface is called dross. It's impurities, things that ought not be. Things that are maligning your image devaluing devaluing your worth right those are the things we're keeping down rather than letting them bubble up so that it can be scraped away (coughs) faced handled dealt with walked through whatever that process looks like right but instead we do this practice called avoidance So again, this is what I believe, right? So take it for what it's worth. Scripturally speaking, there are three types of demonic activities. One is possession, one is oppression, and the other one I think is the most common that no one ever talks about. It's called suppression. Suppressing the truth. Pushing dross down. Not letting things that are not come to light so they they can finally go. Bad thinking, bad believing. Horrible self-talk. Lies. Here's my proposition. If you go into your room and you sit by yourself, give it an hour. If everything that comes up you have no answers for, you don't know how to deal with, all that, that's fine. Guess what happens? You're still in exactly the same state that you were beforehand. But you did prove that you can sit there with yourself. Nothing changed. You still have all the same questions. You still have all the same hurts. You still have all the same hang-ups. But what if it goes differently than that? I know it's coming to your mind, well, what, what if it's worse? It wouldn't be because the only thing you could come out of that with is at least some sort of clarity as to what it is that's actually bubbling up the reminder of that might be painful but it's no more pain than you've been living it. and I get I get some pretty tough people in here I get lots of I had one guy that was pretty major up in a in a very known gang and he's a big boy Tough as nails, not afraid of anything, until he started talking about his feelings. Until he started remembering some stuff he he didn't want to remember. When you see like a 240-pound man like snot cry, that affects you. All because of that suppression of the truth. So what happens? All this all that bad stuff comes up, right? But you know what comes up with it? That pure gold. Things that are true as well. And what is so terrible about that is we ended up with a we end up with a contrast. Truth versus a lie. How I actually know myself to be versus how I've been living lately. And that, I think, that's what's so painful. Because again, one of the hardest things I had to do is reconcile how poorly I treated myself and how how far down I pushed my own worth in accordance to things that weren't true I'm 32 years old I didn't read a book until I was 23 years old because up until that point I believed that I was stupid and incapable of reading because that's what a teacher told me when I was younger and I lived my whole life less than based on something that wasn't true in the first place So I reduced myself down to accommodate my own fear. If you're afraid of airplanes, you can, get, you can still get anywhere in the United States by driving. But you've reduced yourself to accommodate your fear. You've inconvenienced yourself to accommodate your fear. Right? Where have you reduced yourself to accommodate your fear? Is it those... Um, Late night, intimate talks with your spouse? Is it looking your children in the eyes? Is it taking that promotion at work? Is it finally making that career change? Starting that new hobby? Is it simply no longer using I'm afraid I can't make it as a responsible adult that I won't have the things needed like empathy and compassion and drive when people start to infringe on those things it makes us angry because we already know understand this you cannot become angry without taking something personal You cannot be offended without taking something personal. The good thing about being offended, if you allow it to, it gives you a huge opportunity to actually think. Jordan Peterson says it's really hard. um, In order to be able to think, you have to risk being offensive. because you're gonna have to mull over and discuss some ideas that might be seen by others as offensive. And the offense isn't meant to cause people to be hurt, but to provoke their own thought and, pro- and provide their own argument, and their own evidences, right? It's objective, not personal, though we take objective things personally a lot of the time. It's like the idea of religion. A lot of people don't believe uh, Christianity, for instance, because of how people have treated them that were supposed to be Christians. Right? But if someone gets on the piano and they play Beethoven wrong, are you mad at Beethoven? No. Someone poorly represented Beethoven. And it should be seen as such. Because someone else treated me poorly, where does that give me the excuse to live less than the example that I've actually been given? Why do I get to throw the baby out with the bathwater on every idea as long as I'm offended by it? And because of that chip on my shoulder, anytime it comes up or it's spoken, I'm angry. I know plenty of people on the opposite spectrum, too. You say you don't agree with this form of, say, like, yeah, I I think evolution could be a thing, but I'm not so sure about Darwinian evolution. And they're like, well, and they lose their mind. That's an insecurity. I would say the same thing about a Christian, a Hindu, a Muslim. If they don't have a defense of their faith, they're going to get angry or upset when it's questioned, and they don't have answers for it because you're challenging their position they don't have the actual answers to represent their own belief system, that's a hard place to be. It's called cognitive dissonance. You're, you're forcing me into a place to, to try to learn new ideas that challenge my current position. It's a very hard thing to do. It's very hard for people to get over that. It, it causes actual pain. There's an actual distress to it. Um, it can, be, it can be hard to overcome. And that's why a lot of these conversations you know, on a global scale right now I think are falling short because we can't get past that. I'm so protective of what I believe that I can't even learn from what you believe. And maybe that's why we struggle so hard with taking criticism, especially from loved ones. You sit someone down and like, man, I love you, man, but I see this in your life. I see you doing that, bro, like this and this. And you get upset. Because when you're insecure, listen to this, when you're insecure, every single time someone tries to criticize you, because a criticism is supposed to be edifying, it's supposed to build you up. Every criticism seems like an attack. Why? Because our conscience is violated with all of our inaction and all the things we already know but won't admit to ourselves or refuse to act on and change. So you're getting a little too close, and I'm going to bark loudly to get you to back off. Like, anyone know the, the little man syndrome, right? The guy that wants to fight everybody all the time? He's not, he's, he doesn't think he's tough. He's trying to, he's trying to get you to think that he is so that maybe he can feel that he is. Right? The real tough guy is the guy that tries to de-escalate seventeen times before the guy finally swings at him and he puts him on the ground. Right? Again, another Jordan Peterson analogy. It's like men need to learn how to become monsters and then learn how to control themselves. What is the phrase? It's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. Mm-hmm. Power under control. That's what it means to be meek. Jesus says the meek shall inherit the earth. It's gentle, but you're powerful. So what happens? How can we get over this this fear that causes anger and I'm sorry this isn't your typical anger management because I'm not going to teach you breathing techniques I'm not going to teach you how to count to 10 I'm not going to teach you how to walk away because all of you know how to do it already and none of us hardly ever do it until usually after the fact anyways and you can use all your techniques but sometimes you're busy at work and it's slammed and it's going fast you, know, and you don't you have time to do it in the first place <laughs> they're all good techniques i I, I promote meditating and doing all that, right? But, let's face it, in the moment, we ain't doing none of that stuff. <laughs> it's hard to have that self-awareness if you're not aware of self. Right? What, what, what would... um? more of the Buddhism approach would be that mindfulness, right? Well, it's hard to be mindful if you want to explore your own mind. You can't grow in character if you refuse to learn who you are. And when those things get challenged, when those things interrupt me in the state that I'm trying to remain in, I get angry whether that be explosive anger or whether that be internal anger or whether it be passive, whatever it is, I'm getting angry, I'm getting upset. And now I have permission for my whole day to be ruined. Self-written permission slip, by the way. Because something didn't go my way, something was slightly lateral. I can't believe they talked me that way. I can't believe they disrespected me. And we feel as if I can gain your respect by disrespecting you in return. Because anyone that wants to spout off saying, they ain't going to disrespect me like that, is already being disrespectful themselves. There's two ways to go about gaining respect, and only one of them works. First one, demand. Doesn't work. Second one, command. Command. You don't even have to try. Commanding respect is simply being respectable. You treat others the way you want to be treated. If they're being disrespectful, you you remain respectful because that's the treatment you feel you deserve. That's a tough one. Then you'll find out when people are in your face and they're freaking out, you're okay. Because if I had that kind of moment and I was lashing out like that, I hope someone loved me enough to be like, dude. And stay calm for my benefit and help lead me back to a place. Again, it's not that doormat, it's that doorway. Come to where I am. Here, I can show you the way. I can take a few of the licks on the way to help get you to that new place because that love isn't about me in the first place. Anyone here have uh, issues being patient? Anyone say they need more patience? Yeah? Do you know that patience isn't a thing by itself? Because the first thing that love is is patient. It's not a lack of patience. It's a lack of love. It's his first attribute. And then it's kind. It's really hard to be kind and angry at the same time. It's really hard to be angry and thankful at the same time. It's really hard to be angry and grateful at the same time. It's really hard to be mad at someone and say you love them at the same time. So how, do I, how did I get to this conclusion that love is, or anger is always an interruption of myself? Any ideas?
2: We think we're the center of our own universe, and if you interrupt me, then I'm getting angry. Well, that's myself. Not my, what I see me... As, as that you come in and you, you interrupt this and we get
0: angry. Yeah, the idea I had, I call it the 360 degrees of me. Yeah. So here's the, here's, here's the paradox. The more I don't like myself, the more about myself everything becomes. Think about it. if you hate yourself and you're highly insecure, if there's even a whisper outside of your view or your point, they're talking about me. Automatic conclusion. You walk into the waiting room at the doctor's office and people look up because they see motion. And you're pulling at your shirt. I I can't believe they're looking at me this way. No, 90% of the people don't even know you're in the room because they're too busy thinking the same thing about themselves. It's again, it's that idea of what makes you so dadgum important. When I don't like me, everything must be about me. When I am secure and I'm rooted, I am grounded, not everything's about me. So I'm more secure. And now all of a sudden, you could look at me cross-eyed. I don't care. That big guy I was talking about, the big guy that was high up in the gang. Um, We were out on a back porch at a place that I used to work. And we're, we're, I, was, I, was, I was coaxing him a little bit. I was, I, was, I was poking the bear a little bit, okay? It was some of my fault. But um, I was trying to get him to open up. Like, we had built a pretty good relationship. I was trying to get him to open up because there was something there just under that surface that he needed to say, right? And I'm talking, this is a big dude. I'm a little guy. He's a big dude. And um, he, I finally poke him up, and he stands up out of his chair and starts screaming in my face. And and he's like, I mean, you can like feel his wind. It's like a lion roaring at you. Like you're like, oh man. And he says this whole spiel, and he goes, "Say something." And I said, "There's," um," I said, "I love you," and there's nothing you can do about it. And he just began to cry. No, he, he would have destroyed me. That is for sure. <laughs> Stood zero chance. Not at all. But I knew something was there. And he wanted me, I think he wanted me to have that, that rejection. Because that big explosive anger most of the time is I'm moving you out of the way so that I don't have to deal with whatever this is. Because when big guys get mad, let's face it, people part like the Red Sea. Right? And they just, no one, I mess with him right? It's, it's, it's all a deflection. So I took, I rolled the dice I took my chance. And that's why I just looked at him square in the face. I said, dude, I love you. There's nothing you can do about it. And this huge dude who was like clenched fists, like white knuckles, just, it was like one, like once that one seal broke, he broke. It was, and it was really cool. It was awesome. But he was apologetic and all that. And after that, that dude became, like, the nicest person anyone's ever met. Like, it was insane. Like, the next day he was up, like, making breakfast. Like, it was nuts. Like, that floodgate broke, and he was like, Whew. It was cool. And we had a lot of talks after that, and what I said to him meant a lot to him for some past reasons and things like that, and that's awesome. But... That anger most of the time is a facade if it's that unjust or that unhealthy anger. It's a method that we use for self-protection. And again, I'm going to be more about myself the more I don't like myself. The more I'm okay with myself, the more selfless I allow myself to be. The more I can get stepped on or get my toes stepped on or have that offense or whatever, the easier I can take it. Because I have an understanding now that's beyond how it affects me because I know I'm more than just accumulations of words that have been said to me.
2: Can I
0: say something?
2: Yes, ma'am. So I've never felt like anybody was talking about me. And then it was brought to my attention yesterday that I am being talked about, about something. And I let it go. It doesn't bother me. You know, but it's like I've never once felt like people were talking about me. Right. it's actually brought to my attention. And I'm like, okay, well, if you know me, then you know
0: that's not true. Right. Well, that, that would bring me into the, the next segment um, of anger would be insecurity. And when I say insecurity, every, everyone automatically thinks like body image. right? That's like how our culture has expressed being insecure. Well, if you're insecure, you must not like how, the way you look. right? That's not always the case. There's a lot more types of insecurity. You can be situationally insecure. You don't know what's going to happen in a court case. You don't know what's going to happen in your relationship. You don't know what's going to happen when your kid moves off to college. That's a circumstantial insecurity or situational insecurity. You have environmental insecurity. I know guys that have done time. They they don't like to sit with their back open to any type of space where people can be. And it freaks them out really bad, and rightfully so. But that's an environmental insecurity insecurity, right? They're not worried about how they look. They don't worry about if you're talking crap. <laughs> they don't like their back open because they can't see who's back there, and they don't like it, and it makes them insecure. And that word insecurity is so hard to talk about without people just thinking, like, I feel fat today, you know? Like, not to downplay that because that's a really bad one. It is prevalent in our society, but... It's not always that. So, like, when I talk about insecurities, just so everyone's aware, I'm, I'm talking about a scope, not that specific thing. But if I'm insecure, and it's not for a right reason, as in my life's not actually in danger. Right? If I'm insecure, say it is my, my body image, and someone comes up and makes a joke. I don't feel so good about that. I'm a little bit offended by that. Especially if I'm passive or, or if I'm inward, um, inward, right, then I'm not going to say anything. And it's going to keep happening, most likely, because I'm not saying anything. Maybe I'm kind of chuckling along with it, but it's making me feel worse and worse. I'm leaning up to that point of either destroying myself more and believing those things, even though they're obviously jokes. And that's, unfortunately, that's how men a lot of the time build camaraderie, is just by roasting each other constantly. But if I'm insecure in an area, I can be building up resentments, which we talked about yesterday, which puts me in unforgiveness. I'm taking it inwardly, I'm getting more upset with myself, I'm getting more upset with how I look, and I'm getting more insecure in that aspect. And then I might even blow up on them one day, and they had no idea the entire time. When all I could have been like, I could just been like, hey bro, I don't like those kind of jokes. It's a boundary. Like, I, I'm, I'm dealing with some stuff. I don't like that kind of joke. Okay. We want jokes to be funny, right? So most people are going to back off. And some people are, you know, just that way. And let them go kick rocks. But if I'm insecure in something, I'm going to be defensive. And a lot of times my defensiveness is if, if you push too far, it's going to result in some sort of anger. And again, the result still coming from about me. You've interrupted me. You're pointing out things that I haven't dealt with. Right? You're, you're reminding me of my own inaction. You're reminding me where I'm not living up to the standard of the things that I say that I believe. Like everyone here believes that we should... We should eat healthy food and we should exercise. Like, we know that's important for life. We know that we shouldn't use drugs and drink copious amounts of alcohol. We know that's not good for us. We know we shouldn't do these things, right? And we believe that they're wrong and yet we do them. Or yet we don't do anything about it. And then someone brings it up. Like, I know if I've just sat on the couch for... 10 years not doing nothing, eating hoagies, you know. And someone comes up like, hey, man, you look like you're getting a little pudgy, ha, ha, ha. I'm hurt. I'm butthurt. And the reason I'm butthurt is because I know, and I also know I haven't done anything. And you're calling out my failure of responsibility, and I'm going to be upset or angry about that. And I can easily make it your fault rather than me having to deal with it. You're just insensitive and you can't just talk to people that way. Which might be the case, but it still doesn't remove your personal responsibility from the matter either. And we push it off and then we go and we try to deal with our feelings, usually by doing the thing that we don't want to do. Rather than sitting down and trying to get to the the root of some things and asking for help. Asking for help from people, from God. Saying, show me my own heart. What am I not seeing? Get in that quiet room. Again, my belief says, when you pray, go in a room and shut the door and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. If you don't know, ask. And keep on asking. Don't just leave it as a question mark. It's one thing to have questions, guys, and it's another thing to be looking for answers. I had questions my whole life that I had zero investigation in. And I developed a house of cards belief system that just all it did, if I look back at it, was justify my current position and built a construct that allowed me to not have to change. That's why that cognitive dissonance is so painful and makes us so angry because a stiff breeze will knock over that house of cards. So if your new idea has some evidence to it and I don't have any evidence to back up my own idea, I'm probably going to be frustrated and pissed off about that. Rather than saying, tell me more. I don't think I agree with the idea, but how did you come to that conclusion? I can at least investigate in how you investigate it. I might learn something. Rather than being afraid of everybody all the time because they live differently or they believe differently. That's all opportunity in my eyes. You might might know something I don't know. And that might cause a thought. And that thought might be a little bit painful. So I'm probably going to have to investigate it to figure out if I really do agree or not. So these are my three questions for you. Who are you? What do you believe? And why do you believe it? Because you might have built... The image of who you are based on why you believe something and why you believe it might not be true. And that's a stiff breeze to a house of cards. And if it falls over, then you get to rebuild. And hopefully, you rebuild it on a foundation this time and you use something a little sturdier than uh, sticks and hay. Something a little bit more solid that you sought out yourself, because guess what? If I didn't get it from you, you can't take it from me. I'm looking at you. Just kidding. <laughs> but that's the thing: if you didn't give it to me, then you don't have the right to take it from me. If I did everything I needed to do to come to that conclusion, I'm not going to be so easily swayed by your argument. doesn't mean we can't have that discussion. Or if I believe that my security, my identity, my worth was given to me by a creator, you have no right or any way to actually come and rob me of that. Because you didn't give it, and you don't determine it. In that facet, I don't even determine it. I'm just in agreeance. And anything that wants to come against me, to devaluate me, seems foolish. It's like getting a brand new Camaro and then like keying it. Pointless. Lost a bunch of value. Doesn't look the way it needs to anymore. Like, if those analogies don't make, like, that doesn't make any sense to do that, then we have to beg the question of why we do those types of things to ourselves. And if you if you think you're not worth enough, you need to ask yourself the question as to why you actually believe that in the first place. And say your past is justification enough for you to continue to believe that. What does that have to do with tomorrow? Is that reason enough for you to no longer to not even try to build again or is your past sufficient enough to reduce your future why does is your past sufficient enough to reduce your future a good question. Why is who I am right now sitting in this chair, why is that identity been determined from what happened yesterday?
1: Got something on that. So, well, for, first off, the things I've done in my past, I, I do, I, I am upset with myself to an extent, but I've also always kind of operated under the mindset of that everything I've done in my past has led up to making me Person that I am today. I, mean, I don't consider myself to be a bad person. I, I make bad choices, but it, it, the way you said that, it—I it, don't know—it kind of rattled my brain a different way. and Trying to let go of the past, I, I almost don't want to let go of it because I—I I mean, had had I not done some dumb things, I learned some lessons so the hard way. But I learned some lessons that now I, I can be like, hey, that. I saw what happened whenever I did that before, so let's not do
0: that again. Right, so again, I'm not saying throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's not sitting here as if your past never existed. It's again, now I can separate my identity from the things that have happened to me or the things that I've done, and I can still learn from my past mistakes and from my past successes. But most of the time we're tied traumatically to an event or a series of events, and that's why we feel the way we feel.
1: Is it not destructive to hold on to, to the past?
0: Well, yeah, because you've got to leave it in the past. But you can reference it. So I, there's a cool uh, quote. It says, if ghosts exist, it's just us <coughs> haunting the past. The past doesn't come and haunt you. We go and haunt the past. You can revisit the past without haunting it. You can go look at an event without reinstating and reinforcing, oh, yeah, that's who I am. You get to say, wow, that's who I was. And I can learn from all that now, and I can build a better me. I'm just saying it's not excusatory enough for us to continue to live less than because of things that happened then. Because at some point, we are grown adults fully capable of new decisions. And to say I can't make new decisions and live in a new manner because of X, Y, Z that happened in the past, I personally don't agree with that statement. Do we have to work through traumas and do we have to do all that stuff? Yes. Yeah. Nothing about that statement is going to be easy, most likely. It's just not reason enough. Because how is it that some of the people, we see these inspirational stories, right, and all these these? Documentaries and these films that have been made after people that were in probably way worse scenarios than a lot of us that have how far they've made it now. And we're like, oh, man, that's amazing. But then we turn, as soon as we turn around, we're like, but I could never do that. I don't think that's sufficient reasoning. I think that's how I feel about the matter, not what's actually possible. And I need to get my hopes up. You know, there's two major things. The two major things that lead to a suicide. Discouragement and hopelessness. Studies show it has very very little to do with pain. And it has very little to do with problems. Most of the time, it's a lack of hope. As in, how I'm feeling right now, how life is going right now, is never going to end and never going to change, and there's nothing I can do about it. That's normally the main facet of that. How do you know if you're becoming hopeless? You're highly discouraged. Well, I don't want to get my hopes up because what if it doesn't happen? Well, then you're asking for discouragement. Or you get your hopes up and it doesn't work out the way you want and you keep your hopes up and you try again. See how how protective we are over that feeling of I can't feel bad in any type of way ever? Like you just said in the past, there's times that made you feel bad or you felt bad and you learned from it. That's the point. That's the purpose of pain. If you go to the gym, you haven't been to the gym in a while, and you go and you bust out a full body workout, how are you going to feel the next day? Hurting, right? Sore. And guess what? You're going to do it again. And you're gonna do it again. And the first three to six weeks of going to the gym are pretty terrible. And you don't want to, and you hurt, and you're like, oh, It's not in your routine yet, but then it becomes, slowly starts to become part of your life, right? And then all of a sudden, you're doing you're three, four years in, it's a normal routine, and then all of a sudden you miss a week or two. And then you realize like, man, I miss being sore. You know why? Because that pain is the proof of your progress. Pain's not always bad. Sometimes it's proof. Sometimes it's proof that I'm progressing, that I'm getting stronger, that I'm developing more endurance, that I'm able to go farther and longer, or I can get there more quickly. But every athlete that wants to push to that next level is going to go through that realm of pain again. With those endurance runners, after about however many miles and like their body wants to shut off, they have to train through all that.
1: That was one of those.
0: Yeah. And then what happens when you finally push through that pain?
1: That's actually what I used to do whenever, because I ran cross-country, so I did a lot, a lot of long-distance running, and when you get a side cramp, you push on it and keep keep running. Yep. If you start slowing down or anything, then your body gets used to mentally breaking down. The first, the first sign of pain, your brain starts shutting off. And so you have to train your brain to push through the pain.
0: Exactly. And I think that's how we've treated drugs and alcohol. That's our mechanism to push through pain. Except it doesn't actually allow us to. There is no breakthrough. It's more like a reset. Just a pause. But yeah, and if you cause me any type of pain or I think I'm going to experience any type of pain, I'm afraid. The result of that is usually some sort of anger. And then I feel that's what I see expressed in my life towards my friends and my family into strangers and when I'm screaming at people in the car and then I feel like I need anger management when anger isn't something that's managed in a breathing exercise it's, it's, anger itself isn't anything it's a secondary it's, it's a cause of something it's, it's a response so I just have to try to not be angry but that doesn't get to any causation like this going inward And again, for me, the only way I'm able to do that at all, at all, is through the Holy Spirit. Because he knows a heck of a lot more than I don't. And he knows how to get to the places that I won't. You want to ask for change? You'll start being faced with situations that require different responses. And you'll be allowed to fail so that you can recognize. And guess What? Once you're aware of it, you can begin to change it. But if you find out something you don't know, we'll end with this. If you find out something you don't know, you are then faced with the the responsibility of what you now know. It's no longer ignorance. After that, it becomes willful. Comments, questions?
2: Yeah, um... You know, work is chaos for me, and, and I tend to treat employees, co-workers, differently than I do at home. I, you know, I've blown up at a, a, a employee recently, thought about it, brought him back in, said, hey, I apologize, I shouldn't have acted that way, I apologize, please accept my no, apology, I, I I was wrong, blah, blah, He said, no problem, work through it. Home? Totally different thing. Home Chaos at home, I get angry. You know, I want calmness. So, you know, I've got, I wrote down here at work versus home. Chaos is expected at work. I want calmness at home. If I don't get it, I get angry. Mm. And I, I, my I, my wife, my kid even told me, you, you need to work on your anger management, you know, especially at home. So I, I, I treat them differently than I do strangers and employees and everything else,
1: and I, 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 I don't know why. Can I add something to what he said? So I I work in a field that, that's very similar, that I there's, it's always chaos and, and dealing with people, and, and I'm sure you probably have to deal, deal with this also, where there's certain situations that you want to just explode, but trying to stay professional, you have to just kind of hold that in and swallow it. And for me, I was doing the same thing and then bringing it home. And I don't have kids, but blowing up on my fiancé, uh, I harbored all that and brought it home. And that's one thing I had to start working on, which I'm still not good at. But once I leave work, I have to leave all emotions at work because if I if I let that spill over, I mean, it, it got to the point before I moved in with my fiancé that I was taking that home and I was getting in fights in my apartment complex because – I was just all that all that pent-up rage and, and frust- frustration that I was enduring and swallowing at work, the, the first person that, that I could make a target, I just dumped it all on them. And it's it's a really hard thing mentally to, to go through, but that's that's I started getting better at it, but yeah, just leaving leaving that emotion at